0: I just wanted to say again how grateful Mary the boys and I are for the celebration that happened last Sunday. It was just so fantastic. And we felt so encouraged, so blessed. We are uh, grateful to have a body that cares about us as much as you do and Um, Every person I feel like in this room has played a role in us being able to do this for 10 years. And we are grateful for God's provision through (laughs) you guys as you have encouraged us at different points along the way. So thank, thank you. This is a good, good place to be. God is moving. He is working. And I truly do believe, well, we know the best is yet to come. But I really believe for this church, the best is still yet to come. He is orchestrating things. He's putting people in places. He's bringing people here. It's just, it's just good, good stuff. And our job is simply to be faithful each day, right? And we trust him with the big picture and the things that he's doing, um, This week, I was able to talk to a young lady, and it reminded me, her story reminded me of that illustration of that tapestry that has all those strands that are all messy on one side, but you turn it over, and it creates this beautiful, amazing picture, and God is creating an amazing, beautiful picture for this church, and he, of course, he is working all things together for his good and our good. So it's exciting. How about Sarah's word to us that God, uh, God's word through Sarah? Like I love, I love hearing Sarah's heart. I do, and I love hearing and learning from the people in this room. It is so edifying for me. So, yeah. All right. We get to talk, so with all of this, what God, one of the things that God is doing is he wants us to experience his kingdom in a deeper, deeper, deeper way. And guess what? He wants the people outside that we are ministering to, to experience abundant life in his kingdom. Why do we do city serve? Because those people, many of those people walking through our doors, they have no idea about Jesus. They may have heard his name. They have no idea about his kingdom. They are drowning in despair. They are drowning in their suffering. And they desperately need to know the God that saves. They desperately need to live abundantly in God's kingdom. That's why we do this. Guess what? There are people sitting in this room today because of that ministry. That's why we do it. That's the why behind the what, right? So we've got to understand this kingdom. We've got to be ourselves finding abundant life within it so that we are a beacon of light and hope to everybody we come in contact with. This young lady that I met with earlier... um, so this young lady, she uh, was watched by my mom as a kid. And that's how I remember her. Mary and I were on a date night having a great time. Love date nights. They're the best. We were at Starbucks, which is always, you know, the date night's going good when you got coffee and you're hanging out with your beautiful wife. But anyways, we, I reconnected with this lady. And what stood out to me was Christ was just illuminating From her, like just it was like Jesus is in this girl. Look, God, he is so powerful. His kingdom is so powerful that you can't encounter it without being changed. It is like a nuclear power plant. And if you're not different because of that encounter, you have to ask, have I really encountered the real Jesus? Have I really, am I really living in the kingdom? This is it right here. This is what life is about. Let's continue to talk about his upside down kingdom. We've come a long way, right? We've journeyed through most of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus really discusses the kingdom of God, its values, its ways, how we find life within it. And now, We're coming to the end, and we are forced with the same decision that Jesus' original audience was confronted with. We have a choice to make, and it's the most important decision that we will ever make both sides of the grave. Because it will set the trajectory of our life, this side of the grave and on the other side of the grave. Pray with me. We're going to look at this amazing, most important decision that we're all confronted with. And by the way, not to decide is a decision in and of itself. We'll pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the king upon the throne, that you are the king that resurrects, that you take things that are dead and you breathe life into them. And not just the an in, in ordinary kind of life, but a supernatural life, a life of joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and goodness and faithfulness, the life that we all desire that's only found in you whether we realize it or not. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. Help us to understand its beauty its worth so that we are willing to sell all we have, to live in it, to thrive in it, and so that other people can come and experience it as well. Father, we thank you for making it available through your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's check out our Scripture passage for today, Matthew 7, 13 through 20. I'm not going to say a lot of verses 15 through 20. I think I might be saying about it, more about it next Sunday. I'm actually a week ahead in my sermon writing, which is a wonderful thing in a lot of ways, but sometimes I'm almost like, all right, where am I saying that? And so it can be a little bit confusing sometimes, but overall, it is better. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Jesus tells us in this passage that, look, life presents us with two gates. Life presents us with two gates Two roads, two destinations. All, you know, we live in a world of seemingly endless possibilities and options, right? But Jesus is saying when you really get down to it, all of those endless options really just fall under two options. You can take the narrow gate that puts you on a difficult path but leads you to the destination of life. Or you can enter in by the broad gate, take the easy path, and in the end, find destruction. It's our choice. And because of these two destinations, it is obviously the most crucial decision that we have to make. What gate, what path are we going to enter and then walk on? The saddest... Some of the saddest verses of all of Scripture are verses 13 and 14. Jesus predicted that many people, they're going to enter that broad gate, they're going to walk that easy path, and they're going to find destruction. That is so, so immensely sad. And few will enter the narrow gate, walk the difficult path, and find life. May there be no one in this room that is not on the difficult path that leads to life. May no one in this room stay on the easy path that leads to destruction. May our witness and our influence and our spheres of influence and in our community be such that there are many here in our community that are part of the few. That's what I'm praying for. That's why we do City Serve. So the questions are, what exactly is the broad gate? What is the narrow gate? What's the easy path? What's the difficult path? What are these two uh, destinations exactly? These are the questions I hope to answer for you this morning. So let's check out that first question. What is the destination that the narrow gate and the difficult path lead to? I'm, I'm starting with the end in mind here. What is the destination that the difficult path leads to? It is life. How do we describe it, though? What kind of life is this? Well, to answer this question, I think we would do well to consider the context of Jesus' words. What has Jesus been talking about? What was Jesus' main message? What is the thing that he mentions over 50 times in just the Gospel of Matthew? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' message. That was the heart of Jesus' main message. The kingdom of God, life in the kingdom. What we've been talking about the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 sermons, this is the destination of life that we're talking about. Abundant life in the kingdom of God with the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what the narrow gate and the difficult path leads to. And so my mind goes to, well, how exactly does the kingdom of God provide life? Two main ways. There are many, but I'm going to say two, I'm going to give you two main ways. When a person... Decides to enter into the kingdom for the very first time, God becomes their father, and they are they become under the shadow of his wing, and they have the loving, gracious support they they have the of the father, they have the provision of the father, and then. The second thing that life in the kingdom brings is they have the Father's power. The Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of them, and starts transforming them so that they're able to live in alignment with the values and ways of the kingdom, the things that we've been talking about the last uh, couple months. They bear fruit, the fruit of the kingdom, which is the fruit of the Spirit. They become... Lovers of God, lovers of others, and lovers of themselves. And as this all happens, as they experience more and more the fruit of the kingdom, they experience abundant life. The more they become grounded in the Father's love, the more of Christ's character, the more that becomes theirs, the more they experience the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we were made for. This is what we all desire, whether we realize it or not. Now, we must ask, what is this narrow gate that leads to this abundant life in the kingdom? What is the narrow gate that will put us on the difficult path that leads to life? Well, Jesus says in John 10, 9... I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus was saying, and I believe he was thinking when he said the narrow gate, he was thinking, I am the narrow gate. The only way you can enter in God's kingdom, the only way you can enter into God's fold is if you enter by way of me. Then you will be saved. What will you be saved from? John 10.10, 10, the rest of it, tells us the answer. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Those who enter in to the kingdom by way of Jesus, the narrow gate, they are going to be rescued From the enemy of enemies, Satan and his agents, that love nothing more than to keep us on the easy path that leads to destruction. We will be saved from that. And instead, we'll be put on the difficult path that leads to life. That's why John 10.10 says this. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Abundant life in the kingdom is what Jesus is talking about. And that's why Jesus also said things like, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, if you are in the kingdom, if you've entered through the narrow gate, sure, the enemy, he can tempt you, he can make things difficult for you, but he cannot do anything that will ultimately destroy or hurt you. You are under the shadow of the Father's wings. This is also why John... 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the narrow gate. And I think it's important for you to understand that with all of this in mind, Christianity is radically inclusive and exclusive. It's both radically inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only gate. To enter the kingdom of God and find eternal life. It's inclusive in that sense. But it's, ex- or I should say it's exclusive in that sense. It's inclusive in the sense that it is made available to all people everywhere. Radically inclusive and radically exclusive. First Timothy two, five speaks to these two things when it says this, or actually 2, 4 through 6. He says that uh, God desires all men, all men, there is the inclusive nature of of the gospel, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all see the inclusivity and the exclusivity of the, the Christian message. Why is Jesus the only gate? Why is he the only gate that will put you on the, the difficult path that leads to life? Because he is the only one that has went to a cross, bled, and died for you and your sin. You, Muhammad did, hasn't done it. Buddha hasn't done it. Hasn't, it's only Jesus that's done it. And there's nothing else that can erase and atone for your sin than Jesus and his sacrifice. That is why he, he is the narrow gate. You can't erase your sin debt through your money. You can't erase your sin debt through religious performance. Only through Christ. Christ. Is this narrow-minded? A lot of people in our secular world, well, this is narrow-minded that Jesus is the only gate that leads to salvation in life. Tim Keller has a a great quote. Um, What a surprise, right? It it is no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that your way to think about all the religions is right. I had to read that a couple times to let that sink into my brain. The destination is abundant life in the kingdom of God now and forever. Why? And Jesus is the narrow gate. Why is the path difficult? Why is the path difficult? What is this path and why is it difficult? It's a great question. That's what my mind went to. What is the difficult path first? Let's talk about that, then I'll say why it's difficult. I believe the difficult path that Jesus leads to is his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is emphasizing, look, don't just be a hearer of my teaching. Don't just be a hearer of my words. You must do them. Jesus' is teaching, hmm, extending forgiveness. This is the difficult path, right? Peacemaking, handling our anger in God-glorifying ways, keeping our commitments, being faithful in our marriage relationship, seeking to please God and not man, resisting the love of money, refraining from obsessive worry and fear, dependence on God through prayer, wise judgment-making, loving our enemies. The difficulty of this is obvious right? This is the difficult path. And there are three, so that's the difficult path. Why is it difficult? Why is it difficult to live these things out? There are three reasons I want to draw your attention to this morning. The world, Satan, and our sinful habits. Let's just look at these briefly, starting with the world. Jesus said that there are few that are on the difficult path, and there are many that are on the broad, easy path. In other words, the large majority of the world is on a different path than the Jesus way. They're not concerned about the kingdom of God. Many of them don't even know it exists. In fact... Most of the world's values, convictions, and goals are directly opposed to Jesus and his kingdom ways. To go after Jesus and to grow in surrendered obedience to all that Jesus taught is extremely difficult because there is constant resistance from the world. It is like trying to swim upstream. It is going against the grain. Thankfully, we swim upstream with the jet pack of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, we've got waves and we've got water constantly crashing against us, trying to oppose us and resist us. And it's difficult to resist the patterns of the world. It's hard to forgive when the world doesn't. It is hard to be merciful when the world is ruthless. It's hard to be compassionate when the world is harsh. It's hard to be a peacemaker when the world thrives on revenge. It's hard to look after the interests of others when the, all the majority of other people are looking after what's best for them. It's hard to pursue or not to pursue the wealth and stuff and money when the rest of the world this is the these are the goals that they're after it's hard to say no to the golf course the ball game the youth sports on sunday mornings so that we can worship with our church family when everyone else is at the golf course or on the boat fishing it's hard to give generously instead of keeping it for ourselves so that we can keep up with the joneses right This is precisely why we need Christian community. We need a band of brothers and sisters that are walking the difficult path with us if we're going to have any chance of actually walking it and walking it well. And that's why Hebrews 10.25 tells us, Do not forsake meeting together. This here is essential to walk the difficult path. Because where else are you going to hear the message you're hearing this morning? Nowhere else. Everything else that the world is going to tell you will be contrary to this. It's subtle and it's advertisements, but often it's like loud in and in your face. The second thing is Satan. It's another reason why walking the difficult path of living out Jesus' teachings is hard. We have an enemy that is conspiring against us. And look, if he can't keep us out of the narrow gate and off the difficult path that leads to life, he will do his best to try and get you to stumble as often as he can on that difficult path and to slow you down. This is why Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. We covered this earlier. He told his audience that, he should, that they should pray this, Matthew 6.13. And do not lead us to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The enemy is real. There is an invisible war that is raging all around us at all times. And one of the, Satan's greatest tricks is he wants to convince us that this whole invisible war isn't really going on. And that we don't have an enemy in the invisible spiritual realm. And what Satan likes to do, especially to us Christians that are on the difficult path, if he can't get you to sin in big, obvious, grieve, you know, grievous ways, he will get you to sin in subtle, subtle ways that fly under your radar. He'll, 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 he'll tempt you to harbor a little bit of resentment in your heart towards someone. He'll tempt you to feel slighted. He will tempt you to draw wrong conclusions about a person. He will tempt you to doubt the goodness of your heavenly father. All of these so-called smaller sins, if left undetected, they're going to be like drops of water that all work together over time to erode your soul and stunt your spiritual growth. The good news is that although we must respect our opponent, we don't have to fear him because stronger is he that lives inside of us than he who is in the world. But make no mistake, we have a real enemy in the visible world. And as the Apostle Paul tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? but the powers and the principalities in the invisible spiritual realm. The world, Satan, and finally, thirdly and finally, what makes the difficult Jesus way so difficult is ourselves. When we enter the kingdom of God, something miraculously happens to us. We are given a new identity And we are given a new power. And the Jesus path no longer is impossible, but now possible because of our new identity and our new power. Here's the thing, though. Although we have a new identity, a new nature, we still have sinful habits that are still really just anchored in us that need to be altered and changed. We need to be reprogrammed. We need to be retrained. We need to learn new habits of thinking, of speaking, and behaving that match our new identity, our new nature. And so we need to learn how to forgive because why? That is now who we truly are, people that forgive. We need to learn how to love because our truest self is really that of love. Is, it's loving. We need to learn how to extend mercy because our truest self, our new nature, who you truly are if you are in Christ, deep down in, in the, in the deepest part of your heart, you are merciful. And when you're not acting, and extend, acting in mercy and extending mercy, you're not acting in accordance with who you truly are. We need to learn how to make wise judgments because at our new nature is wise, you see. We need to learn how to take calculated risks because our truest self is courageous. We have been united to Christ. We have a new nature. We have a new identity. But all of this, this retraining and this reprogramming, The Holy Spirit, this new power we have, does the heavy lifting, but it still requires effort on our part, and this is why it's so difficult. It requires us to look into the mirror. It requires us to to look right at our habits of thinking, speaking, and behaving that are leading to issues and problems. It requires us to engage in certain activities and experiences and spiritual habits that will develop us in Christ that, guess what, take a lot of time and a lot of effort. We expect transformation, but we are not putting often the effort that that needs to go into it to really open ourselves up to God to receive the transformation that he can bring It requires us to be accountable in Christian community. Who wants to do that? That's awkward. It's uncomfortable. This taking off the old, putting on the new, is difficult work. And God's chisel doesn't feel good often. But it is so worth it because it leads to life, abundant life, now and forever. Forever. Sure, doing whatever you feel like doing whenever you want to do it, going with the flow of the world, oblivious to the enemy of your soul, not looking in your yourself in the mirror and confronting your sinful habits, that's easy. It doesn't take effort. In fact, that's the life you'll drift into if you don't even try. But it leads to death. It leads to to death, And the death can take on many faces, right? It may be the death of your marriage. It may be the death of your friendships. It may, be, it, it may kill, if you stay on that easy path that leads to destruction, it may kill your ability to love and receive love. It may kill your ability to experience joy and peace. No one who enters the broad gate and walks that easy path walks it unscathed. There's always destruction that comes. And those who stay on it for a lifetime, they will experience eternal death, separation from the good God of the universe forever in the place the Bible calls hell. And so even if you somehow manage to mach- manufacture some kind of a decent life, walking the easy path, it ends in Destruction. And so, you can see why, and I'll wrap it up here. Jesus with his audience, he's laid out the kingdom of God to these people. And he starts talking about the two gates, the two paths, and the two destinations. Because his audience is going to have to choose what will they do with what they just heard. We all have to choose today what we're going to do with what we've been hearing the last how many weeks as we've looked at the kingdom of God. And to do nothing is a choice. And so, through the words of Moses, with Jesus' words in mind, people of abundant life, Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life in the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. That's... Is our choice. Jim read the psalm. It says, God's path drips, drips with abundance. Mm. Are you experiencing it? Have you entered the narrow gate? Are you on that difficult path that leads to abundant life in increasing measure with each passing day as you grow in Christ? Let's pray. Lord, um, you are so kind and gracious that you even respect our decision to choose, and you will not override our decision. Lord, um, thank you that you clearly in your word set out the two options that really all other options and possibilities fall under. And that you have made it possible that we can be on the path to life. That we can experience life in your kingdom where abundance is found. Thank you for your death, Jesus, that makes that possible. Lord, I pray as each person is sitting here this morning. That there wouldn't be a person that would walk out of these doors without coming to you, if they haven't already, in repentance and faith so that they may enter your kingdom, so they may receive a new identity and a new power to actually walk the difficult path that will bring them so much joy, so much peace, that in the end they will say it was well worth it. Lord, for those of us who have entered into your kingdom, may we not forget that each day we wake up, we have to choose. Am I going to live in alignment with the ways of the kingdom in my truest self, my new nature, or am I going to allow myself to fall back into those sinful ways of thinking, speaking, and behaving? Lord, I pray that those who are in your kingdom that are in this room, that they will actually seek to grow in surrendered obedience to everything you've said in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if there are people here that are not forgiving, if they can't extend mercy, if they are quick to judge in ways that are ungodly, other people, Lord, I pray that you would totally destroy that stronghold because in that is death. Lord, I pray that if there are people here that are constantly working for uh, the, the, the so that others will, will see them favorably and they're more concerned with how they appear to man than to you and pleasing you, I pray that you would destroy that wall, that you would break that down in their heart because that leads to death. Lord, I pray that if there are people here that that are struggling to be generous as you have been generous to us, that you would so destroy the greed in their hearts that holds on to things tightly and has this scarcity mentality that there's only so much to go around, and so I better hold on to my chunk, that they would, that would be broken in their heart, that they would know deep down in that you are their Father that will provide for them. And you own the whole world. And your supply doesn't run out so that they can give generously and freely. Because that's where life is. It's better to give than to receive. Lord, may we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.